0: Some of the information mentioned in this episode has been affected by the current coronavirus situation. Check the websites referenced in this episode for the most current listing of the events, activities, or dates that are most current and relevant. You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations Podcast. Welcome again to Neighbors and Nations. So glad you've joined us for this episode of our podcast. And today it's a special privilege to be able to interview uh, Dr. Johnny Hunt. Uh, Johnny was for years a pastor in uh, Woodstock, Georgia, has more recently become one of the executive vice presidents at the North American Mission Board. But I think what makes Johnny's heart beat is evangelism, both locally and globally. And uh, man, he runs on a battery that never stops and must always be charged. And I think you'll pick up on that in this interview as well. He'll share a lot with us about how he came to Christ and how personal evangelism was instrumental in his own conversion and why he's so stoked about it today and even help us pastors deal with things that will help us keep it at the forefront of our church's mission. So I won't say any more, just so glad you're here. And I'm thankful Johnny could sit down with me and just talk a bit. So enjoy this conversation I had with Dr. Johnny Hunt. Johnny, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. It is a joy to be with you.
0: I know that Johnny's here speaking at our men's conference uh, right now. And so we're taking some time this morning just to kind of visit. And uh, I'm excited to hear from one of the best guys in our country on evangelism and especially regards to neighbors and nations. That's kind of the point of the podcast. So, Johnny, I know that... um, um, Your story is really a neighbor story. I mean, you were a pagan. I think you said you were 20, and someone just invited you. So uh, tell us who that was and how that went down and how how God reached you.
1: Yeah, I uh, had a man that befriended me by the name of N.W. Pridgen. He's in heaven now. He was a carpenter, and I come from a Lumbee Native American tribe, and so did he. And he just. you were um, living where? Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. And he just sort of reached out to him And It was just whether I ran into him in a store, saw him on the street, it was kind of like, hey, I wish, I can still hear his words, you and your pretty little wife would worship with us one Sunday at Longleaf Baptist Church. And I, I was not in the church. I didn't go to church, didn't go as a kid. Mom didn't go. Mother and father were divorced. My siblings did not go. And really, I had in the back of my mind that Church was for religious people, and I was non-religious. So it was just, I didn't know lost, saved, heaven, hell. (laughs) It was more like religion, non-religion, and that's not my cup of tea. So it was like, no. But then my wife began to say to me, because we got married young. I was 18. She was 17. And we're getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary this year. Well, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. But basically, she began to say, because she had the influence of a godly grandmother, well, I really think we ought to go to church. I think it would really help our lives, our marriage, everything about us. And I, I, I didn't see how, but basically she kept pushing. And then I thought, well, if we're going to go, we're going to go to Longleaf because that's where Mr. Pridgen is. And he now, invited me first.
0: How did you know him? Or was this a, a relationship in the city? Or
1: Yeah, he was a carpenter. And at that time, I was doing two things. I was managing the pool room but I'd got a job at a hardware store and he was a carpenter. So he came in to buy supplies and he would always, I mean, he just, even if I didn't wait on me, he waited around to just invite me. And you know, the neat thing is uh, he never shared a track with me, never gave me a verse, uh, never went in really like to a gospel conversation. He invited me and I'm an evangelist at heart. And if I were to post something on social media, how powerful the invite is, Uh, so many would attack me and say, it's it's not inviting somebody to church, it's sharing the gospel. Well, what do we do at church? Do we have confidence in the gospel that is being shared Mm. at church? Do we feel that if I could get my friend under this ministry and in the context of this wonderful fellowship, they would like it? It's been proven. 85% of the people that have placed faith in Jesus Christ, our surveys show, they came to church because someone invited them. Amen. So that fellow invited you. He invited me and you I and showed Janet up went? <clears throat> on a Sunday. And then the next week, I'll never forget. I was very shy back then. And my wife says something like this. Now let's go visit another church. Well, I'm not about to keep breaking in. I'm shy. I found at least that I went there and I felt comfortable. If I go, I'm going back there. And she just, her, her attitude was, let's just get you there. So I would say I went about four Sunday mornings, but there was a Sunday morning. You know, the language I use today is the language of being in the journey, uh, 47 years, but basically, uh, I was convicted of my sin. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the Bible, but I was convicted that I was a sinner. And I was also convinced that Jesus could enter Mm -hmm. my life and make a difference. So in that context, I normally would leave church and go to Holly Ridge Drag Strip. I had a 67 GTO, and I I drag raced on Sunday afternoon. I had a very fast car. So (laughs) that day, um, we went home. He said, we're not going to the racetrack. And I said, no. And she said, why not? And here's what had happened. At the close of the service, I was under conviction and began to weep. And evidently, people around me in smaller church, even the pastor, must have noticed. And here's what he said. There's a young man here, and we believe God is dealing with him. We're going to close in prayer that God would bring him back tonight and save him. So I got in the car and I told my wife that was me. And so she thought I was offended. Oh, no, it wouldn't be you. There were 300 See, people there. Mm-hmm. And I said, "No, no, no, and I don't mean that in a bad way. And you know, the, really the truth is, the very word Torah" in the Old Testament translates the shooting of an arrow, and, and that's just what God does with, and I think it's the law that convicts us, that's makes true. us aware of mm-hmm. sin. But then it's like a schoolmaster, it drops us off at the cross. <laughs> so it, it, it's like the mirror of the word that shows us our dirt, but only the cross can cleanse that dirty face.
0: You saw that as another invitation to come back I re- and to I be really loved.
1: Did. But when I came back that night where I normally just sat near the back, I found myself down front on the on the aisle because in the back of my mind, I'd really reasoned that I, I really need to respond. But I don't know that I can do this uh, publicly. So I went to church with the mindset that if Jesus Christ can change my life tonight, I'm, I'm going to give him my life. I, I love it. You know, when you share stuff like this, somebody may email me and say, Hey, I heard your story. You don't have to go to church to get saved, to which I'd respond. <laughs> no, you don't have to go to a funeral home to die. But the bottom line is it ought to be that you can go to any of our evangelical churches and you will be told that service, how you Amen. can enter in the kingdom of God. You're and that's exactly why I'm right. so radical about an invitation is that somebody may be here this Sunday hearing me that may never come back, that never mm-hmm. has been, and that God is particularly, particularly dealing with their heart. So that night I uh, sat through service, very nervous. I even asked my wife if she would go forward and tell the preacher I wanted to be saved.
0: Now, was Janet a Christian
1: at this now, point? She had trusted Christ, but no growth. And okay. it was like, mom and dad were not believers. Uh, I, I ultimately led both her parents to the Lord. Wow. I have a lot That's of sweet. fun with her. I tell her, I say, the way you know I love Jesus, I led my mother-in-law to the Lord. <laughs> 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 that is simply a joke to any listener. But the bottom line is, um, I did, but... Her grandmother was a godly lady but lived off a ways, and so when Janet would be with her, she would be nurtured, but that was not very often. So she came to say, I don't know what you're going to do, but tonight I'm going to recommit my life to Christ, and I'm going to, I am going. haven't been baptized yet as a believer, and I really know that something happened in my life uh, That's great. a couple of years earlier. And, and for our listeners, I can actually say, hey, on a snowy Sunday night, January the 7th, 1973, Christ saved me. But my wife's testimony would be, I don't I don't remember a date like my husband, uh, mm. but I was a teenage girl, and I was listening to an evangelist in the Presbyterian Church named Mickey Rice, and uh, he gave an invitation in the Presbyterian Church, and Jesus Christ changed my life. So, you know, a lot of times people are troubled, they just can't you know, hear someone give a date. I was 20 years old. I was such a pagan, managing a pool room, high school dropout. It was such, uh, and it's certainly significant for anyone. But, you know, Jesus made the statement about the harlot that came to him and said, when more sin seems to have been forgiven, there just seems to be more love. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we were forgiven for so much where certainly we all are forgiven to the same point. But it's, it seems more overwhelming to an adult and one that um, chose to live so mm. far from anything that's right.
0: All of that just from a simple invitation at a hardware store.
1: Exactly. And multiple times, I take it. Exactly, yeah. Which is a thing we've been talking about and you've been emphasizing, don't give up. Yeah, exactly. You know, I have one friend that he really, I uh, show a video when I do the tour that I witnessed to, who's my best friend when I got saved. And every time I'd go back to my home of Wilmington, I would engage him. And he would always say to his wife, got to go over there and hear Johnny preach to me. Hmm. And he knew it was coming. He knew that each time I would say, Rex, <laughs> uh, I just share a little, you know, God loves you and Christ died. I've told you every way I know. But any reason you would not today repent and place your faith in Christ. And after 28 years and nine months, wow. he received Christ. But I didn't. I wouldn't have known that date, but he'll never forget it. And so he breaks down crying in the video, and he says, 28 um, years and nine months is a long time. And then he re- swallows hard, tears flow, and he says, thank you for not giving up.
0: Well, that's a powerful and, story. And
1: that, So God has used that across the country, sure. and he continued to remind, remind me, too, because I'm witnessing to a person now, and I've had two or three uh, strong engagements and from my perspective, I don't see any movement, but God certainly under the surface mm-hmm. may be doing something in his life. You know,
0: Johnny, I can relate to that. I, the guy on my Hoosier One card is in the same boat mm-hmm. as the one you mentioned last night. Mm-hmm. We've had two or three good conversations, and he's outright just said, I, I don't really want to go with you. Mm-hmm. But he said, I would love you having lunch with you, so we just keep having lunch together. Yeah. And I think I've just got to probably just ask permission, say, hey, can I just share with you what's really changed my life? Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping I can do that in the service, you know, like he's come to church, meet other people. But I think I've just got to just cross that threshold individually. But what's good about hearing that is I think sometimes people in the pew, they they look at pastors like we're just the one-shot Lone Ranger. Like we right. go in, we witness, and they get saved the first time. Mm-hmm. But we have individuals that oh, it takes my. a long
1: time in prayer. And, yeah. so- and we are so broadly. I, <clears throat> I love that. I love my favorite psalm is Psalms 126. And verse 5 says, they that sow in tears reap in joy. Verse six, he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him, which is a picture of a harvest, a bundling Mm -hmm. up of a lot of people. So I I see a good number of people saved, but in this who's your one, I'm trying to be intentional to say, yes, I'm going to continue to witness to those around me, but I'm actually going after some that I, I know are far from God mm. and and pray that God would use me. Um, and then if that one comes to Christ, I'll pray God give me another another one. But the picture of sowing the seed is really reaching down into a, a cloth or a leather pouch and just spreading it everywhere and then leaving the results to God. Like so, Matthew
0: 13, so are went out to sow.
1: Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. what happens uh, on Sunday when we're preaching. We're just sowing Amen. broadly. We have no idea where the seed's landing and whether it's hard or thorny or being choked out by the cares of the world. But it's our duty just to sow.
0: Amen. So correct me where I'm wrong on this. Your story begins with the whole neighbor kind of emphasis, just to go in a hardware store. And I think I've read or heard that that then led to you, I think, initially witnessing to a lot of your pool room neighbors, or I think a lot of your friends yeah, came to Christ. Or... They, they really
1: did. And someone may think, well, boy, who trained you? Well, really, I was not trained. I simply became what the New Testament calls, and that is just a witness. I begin to just bear witness mm. of uh and it really was more like um to my friends that were still living exactly like I lived. And it, it It really resonated when I'd say, Donald, I can't believe this, but I don't cuss anymore. And and Donald, uh, I'm not a racist anymore. And and Donald, um, God's changed my life. I mean, Donald, I love to go to church. I I can't wait to the next corporate worship. And Donald, I study my Bible every morning, and all I think about is all my friends and praying for them. And I can tell you that my brother has been a pastor 10 miles north of me for 30 years, Norman, and I led him to faith in Christ after I Mm, came to Christ. I didn't know that. Uh, I led my mother to the Lord, and then after I went off to college and seminary, came back and served as her pastor and was pasting her when she died. So the joy today, even though she's been with Christ for 35 years, is knowing that she received Christ. I have a sister in my church that works in hospitality, and she was a major pushback, basically told me, Promise me the next time around you, will you'll not bring Jesus up. You'll not preach to me. I'm sick of hearing you. And, uh, and that didn't, didn't happen, did you know, it? I love to tell this, she says. <laughs> and I want you to know, to know that if I do get saved, I'm not going to your church. <clears throat> and so today she's in our church. But So we just continue to press uh, forward. And, and I do a whole major piece on how to witness to family because people are um, pushing away from family and giving themselves an excuse that says – family's the hardest people to witness to and and i challenge that for i take it from several perspectives if if noah had felt that way who would have witnessed to his family uh it's just it's it's a beautiful picture there abraham is just a a great witness to his own family and oh, you'll find it all throughout the scripture but yeah god got hold of my life there and so donald pope now Uh, I tell the story from the pool room to the pulpit. One of your men came to me last night and said, I've never heard of you. So I, I, I researched you and I listened to one sermon, your life story, to which I said, that's the number one requested sermon I've ever preached. And it's entitled from the pool room to the pulpit. And so I just tell the story how God found me in the pool room and now I'm a preacher of the gospel. And he he said, man, that moved my heart. And um, so I shared that. But in that story, I tell about one of my best friends. We were living in in kind of a hood is where we were raised. government subsidized project, pretty rough. And we got into a street fight. And the guy he was fighting had a switchblade and really opened him up. Uh, We thought he was going to bleed to death. Took 125 stitches in his chest to sew him up that night. Uh, He's a pastor in Seneca, South Carolina today. His wow. name's Donald Pope. And so Donald's child friend, friend, I led him to Christ seven years. I knelt with him in his home in Raleigh, North Carolina, in their shag carpet, and he <laughs> gave his life to Jesus. And so Donald has uh, went on to Mid-America Seminary and graduated and has been a pastor. So I've got the stories and the people that are telling the mm-hmm. stories that came to faith in Christ. I led two of my best friends to the Lord, all of my family members to faith in Christ, and so it's it's been a real joy. And even the dad that had divorced my mom and, and moved off, I, I went after him wow. and then saw him. And I was not the one actually to pray with and receive Christ, but I planted the seed, prayed, stayed behind him and prayed. And then he called and said, I just want you to know I've started attending a church wow. here in Pikeville, Kentucky. And then in my phone, I've got a picture of the day he was baptized. And I preached his funeral probably 10 years ago. So it, it's has uh, been a lot great. Of special so we, memories. we really did start with neighbors, our Jerusalem. Uh, I went back to the pool hall to tell the owner why I had quit. I quit the pool room. Okay. And all the language, the gambling it was just part of you know life. And I, I needed to come out of that. And it was just a separation thing. But I was convicted that I couldn't leave those people there. So when I went by and I, his name's J.C. Bullard, and I said, J.C., I just want to tell you why I quit. And he said, I heard, son, you got religion. I said, JC, it's, it's really more than that. I, I have this relationship with God. I mean, I am personal with him. I mean, he talks to me. I talked to him. This Bible that I never owned is it's alive with truth. You know, and I, I mean, I was just reading it as a as a novice. And then he said this. He said, you know, my wife and I have been talking about God a lot. W- would you come by and kind of tell both of us together what happened? And I called the Holy Spirit of God as my witness. We sat at their dining room table. I bet I'd only been saved four months. And I just, all I did is told them what Christ did for me. And they both began to weep. And I said, he'll do it for you. And they said, we want him to. And we knelt there. And people find this hard to believe. He sold that pool room. He bought a Tom's peanut truck, started selling peanuts. And then later (laughs) on when I came back to, to Longleaf, because my story is God saved me at Longleaf Baptist Church in Wilmington. I went off to college, served a college church for three and a half years, went to seminary, served a seminary church for almost two years, and then went back to the home church and spent six years before going to Woodstock. Okay. And so while I was there, it became the fastest growing church in the state of North Carolina and the first Southern Baptist church to baptize 200 converts in over 50 years. And we were in a non-growth church community. There had not been a new home built since World War II. Wow. No new homes since World War II. So a non-growth community, but lost people there. So we get in our mind that you need to go somewhere. The community's growing because it, it. they do say it's easier. It used to be to reach transitional because things are changing. They're a little open to change. But the homesteaders need the gospel too. Amen. And so God, we started going door to door in that neighborhood. And, and it's where I had been raised is those well, neighborhoods. You knew that place. I knew the place. And some people would say, it's a pretty rough area over there. Aren't you scared? And I think, that's where I was raised. That's home, you know. So, uh, so God used us there. It, it was not until I got off to um, Woodstock, and God called my associate pastor to the mission field. Oh. And he went to Kenya. And Kenya, back in the um, late 80s, experienced uh, an awakening uh, the tribal people called the Maasai, who would never allow the outsider to come into their boma, their homes, and share the gospel, God opened their heart. It's a Lydia picture of where God opened her heart down by the sea. And so God swept literally hundreds of thousands. Uh, we took an, uh, we said, saw so many people saved when I went there, first mission trip my life, that we baptized one afternoon. There were 200 of us pastors. We chartered a, a Kenyan heir with Jimmy Draper, and we baptized that collectively that afternoon 5,000 new converts. And someone may say, what, what do you think? God really used that. I was back two years ago, and the young man named Moses that came to Christ that God called to preach is still pastoring the wow. same church over 30 years later did yes sir god did. he sure did but let me tell you where god captured our church for the nations we didn't have the technology 30 years ago we have today so you just call back and they would put you through the sound system on your call okay and i'm going to speak to the church that morning well i'm up probably three o'clock in the morning with eight hours difference to speak to an 11 o'clock service and all I'm going to do is just say, hey, miss you. We're coming home. But let me just tell you what's happening. And as I begin to tell what God had done, I mean, because I, w- I would go to speak, say, to three young uh, warriors about Christ. But while I was talking, more would come. So I had to keep starting over. And then everybody <laughs> would pray to receive Christ. And then you'd wonder, wait, wait a minute, do they understand. So you'd go back through it again. But the thing is, it was so ripe, God had made them, and they don't have all the distractions we Americans Mm -hmm. have and don't have all the wealth that many times makes us feel we don't have a spiritual need. And so um, as I shared, I became overwhelmed and just couldn't talk for weeping. So my associate pastor, Jim Law, said, "Uh, hold on just a minute, Pastor Johnny. I I wish we'd have had the visual aid we have today. He said, I need to tell you what's happening. the, The pews are empty everybody's on their face in this room right now. Wow. And there's a a weeping across the room. And so as I came back, they lined up to say, you'll not leave the country without me on the next trip. And it's like, it's like, that's where the movement began. God be, we had never in 150 years had one single person to go out from the First Baptist Church of Woodstock to serve as a full-time vocational missionary. And since then we've sent over 120 units around the world. Talking to a young man here last night, we have five units in Indonesia spread across there. I have several families in Iraq. Uh, We have families all over Europe and Russia and China. So it's um, really encouraged, but it all started. That's where it started. So I had to model it, but that's the way you have to do ministry. Um, Whatever's important to the pastor has -hmm. the potential of becoming important to the people.
0: And God, in one sense, it almost surprised you then with that whole movement about just getting your heart not just with neighbors, but then in this kind of a surprising way, mobilizing your whole church for the, for the nations. And I love the way, yeah, it wasn't an either-or. You didn't trade no, your neighbors for Kenya,
1: right? but suddenly it, God
0: was doing both. It,
1: both, exactly. And it would be somewhat hypocritical if I was getting a passport, buying a ticket for a couple of thousand dollars and flying over halfway around the world to tell someone about Jesus, but I won't walk across the street or the person I'm having lunch with that I work with and not tell them the same story that we're telling them. Now, the bottom line is we're, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Somebody says well, there's more to do in your community than you're able to go do. Why would you go anywhere else? Because it's an imperative. It's a mm. command. And God honors the church that will do both and, not Amen. either or. And so it, it's, not, it's not an option.
0: So, uh, so talk to pastors, and like we just said, you know, doing both, God honors that church. Uh, talk to pastors about balancing or going after both neighbors and
1: nations. Well, you know, basically a friend said many years ago, the light that shines the featherest shines the brightest at home. So we're bright at home, uh, but we wanted a ministry upon which the sun would never set. And what you do when you begin to let people know that, um, it, like, for instance, at Woodstock, anyone that goes on a mission trip in the States or out of the States are publicly in Sunday morning worship service commissioned. So it keeps it on the forefront. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy told me one time, he said, you're, you're so non-focused here. He was kind of an expert. And I said, what do you mean non-focused? He said, you find yourself talking about missions every week. I said, Brother, think about what you said. I'm not talking about <laughs> missions every week. We're doing missions every week. That's
0: pretty good focus.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really is. But, but I had to you know, somewhat correct him, and he was kind of that, quote, expert. And, uh, and some were thinking, how do we narrow our focus? You know, that when everybody comes in, it's just, you know, it was almost like remove all these announcements. That isn't an announcement. That's the church on mm. mission. So a person would stand up, and then uh, God put it in my heart 22 years ago to challenge every high school student to prayerfully consider giving a year overseas before they'd go to college. Now, I did my homework. I went to some of the colleges and seminaries and said, if they go, will you give credit for them spending a year okay. if we can uh, outline ministry, readings, and and all? And they said, yes, Liberty University, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Some of our Baptist colleges, North Greenville Baptist College was our best friend. They gave us 30-hour credit if they would spend a year out there. And then we could even put some of them in Bible institutes in these nations. So I I just communicated on my way here to a friend in Argentina. Uh, Word of Life Argentina is the healthiest word of life outside of Scroon Lake. Okay. And so uh, I work there. I'll be there, God willing, in May to address probably 2,000 high school grads and young adults that want to entertain the call of God Mm. to the nations. And so I'm elated. I've got pictures on my phone of being there last year, and uh, it was like an accordion. When the people stood, you think, is there enough seats for them? That many came for the weekend. And so I get to do that event and to challenge them uh, to the nations But we've seen um, in the literally true factual dozens and dozens and dozens of those Latinos get planted in India, North Africa, and the Middle East. And what we're finding is uh, when we have families in Iraq and we've had to evacuate them on more than one occasion, but never a Latino. They look the same with their dark complexion, their dark hair, and their dark eyes. They're already bilingual. They're finding that whether it's Farsi or Arabic, that they learn that language easily, they tell me. They play the same sports and have their entire life soccer. And so um, God has greatly blessed uh, a movement of people being mobilized from South America and Central America uh, through the ministries of Mm. our church. So uh, the first year that I challenged those students to go. I had to provide the platform. I wanted to be able to get the education. And someone may say, what were some of the defining moments of challenging the families? Um, Most kids that go to college are going because we are told as a nation, you need to have a college degree, but they don't know what they want to study. They're just there. What are you doing here? You're supposed to get a college degree. And so I'm not against that but what i have taught and then it was just proven by harvard in the last five years is i said i wonder how many actually use their education in their line of work 50 in the in a line of work for their career that has nothing to do with their college mm, education so half half and so and i i felt that was true sometimes you can just wonder From talking to people, what did you study? Well, here's what I study, but here's what I'm doing. (laughs) That's true. And so um, I said, why don't you go off and get a worldview? Go get a Mm worldview as an 18-year-old. Then come back and embrace your college or your techno institute or seminary or whatever God have you do. So God has captured many of their hearts. Many of those are serving. So they would go, and they would be in a Bible institute for a year. They would travel and do ministry on the weekends. They would only give them English for about three or four weeks in the dorm, so they were, had to learn the language. With no exception, they came back speaking fluently. Here's one of the great testimonies. A couple of years ago, there was a, um, an award given at, uh, by K-Love at the uh, event for Christian music. And it was given to one of our church members that is a young American boy. His dad, uh, it was on my staff for years, named Johnny Condry. His son, Seth Condry, Seth won the Spanish Album of the Year. He learned Spanish in his year in oh, Argentina. Really? He was already a worship leader, but now he could do Spanish, and he won the uh, the award for the year. It's interesting uh, at. Um, our, our big event, uh, the the biggest national event there is. So I just think how God has worked in those kids' lives. And then some are missionaries. Some are serving mm-hmm. uh, and actually stayed in South and Central America serving. And then many, it just, you know, went on to do other things, but they have that one-year background uh, in their life uh, of serving the Lord. We sent 55 our first year.
0: So you you are a big proponent of short-term mission trips i'm taking it
1: yeah i even called the international mission board many years ago and i said the can you tell me through your research has the majority of the people that have served as career missionaries first been involved in short term and at that time and it was many years ago they said great question and could not answer it later they came back and said the majority so, the majority mm-hmm. that ended up, and many times they end up in the 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 area or field where they went. We sent it's one of our greatest stories uh, you you find uh, affinities doing ministry together that's understandable mm-hmm, sure so our college students knew uh, the young couples that were serving in Indonesia, so we sent about about fifteen college students for a pretty extended um short-term, but maybe it was 13 days, in Indonesia. Eight of them ended up being couples, okay, marrying, and three of the couples are serving in Indonesia.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, like the double duty on that. you got a missionary and, and a it, wife it is, or a husband. It is really. So,
1: <laughs> so I, I tell our people every now and in our missions conference, I say, some of you really want to get married. You got to do short-term missions. <laughs> so, but it, but it's just story after story after story. So, give you some idea. We just planted a couple that uh, I'm very good friends with and communicate regular. They, you know, the way it is now, you can keep your American number, you know, in mm-hmm. London. So, I'm uh, in touch with Garrett uh, pretty regular, and he's in Paris in language school and wants to serve serve in Southern. Uh, France, so he can touch North Africa. And he's a corporate person. Okay. Uh, Then we have a family couple, a couple, no children yet, and a young single lady serving in Morocco. The city they're in is a million and a half people with 45 known believers. So I I visited them there. And then we just put another family in London in the heart of the uh, Muslim refugees. And all these couples are around that 30-year-old age. And so it's really encouraging. And then we call sure the pipeline. Is. I've got about a dozen families right now, or singles, that are doing their preparation to go to the field. Wow. In process. So it's, um, it, it's, it's the language of our church. Now, while we're doing that, we took what's called four fields, or T for T. That's what they call it on the International Mission Board field. We call it GCI, um, and and it's a a global outreach uh, ministry for us. But we teach people to go door to door, but only after they've prayed for a couple of weeks. Uh, As often as they Mm. get to that community, just walking through and asking God to touch each apartment, each house. And then we go and we we just say, okay, today we're going to do 10 houses, 10 doors and we'll go we knock on the door when they come to the door there's three of us always and here's what we do we introduce our first name and we say this we don't say woodstock we say we're from local churches and we're out caring in the community Mm, that's Um, good and then we ask this question todd do you have a need that we can pray and ask god to meet Mm. and so one of the recent doors when i went with fred before he left the guy said, "I'm on the computer right now filling out an application for a job. I need a job." And so here's how we prayed, and we stuck to our script, "Lord, in the name of Jesus, please help this man get this job." And I pray well, you would do it in such a way that he would know mm. Jesus did it. OK? And then when we, we say, "Hey, thanks a lot," and we think, "Well oh, man, man, thank you." Coming and praying, and some that even came to the door a little anxious, like, hey, I don't know what you're doing, you know, like they're in a hurry. But after we prayed, we've even had them to apologize to us and say, well, oh, I was a little edgy there. Gosh, I can't believe y'all did this and actually guess the God of heaven. And then we say this, hey, not this week. Is there a day or time next week I could drop by? I want to tell you a story. Hmm. See, the majority of the world is illiterate, so you can't just uh, be putting the gospel in print. You, and so what we call it, you know, is storying the gospel. So we've taught our people uh, a real outline of taking your story. Like I like Luke 7, Simon's house. The harlot shows up. She's washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Long story short, he saves her. He addresses their negative, uh, pharisaical attitude. And he saves this lady, and she goes home in peace. And when we get to the end, we just say, has anything like that ever happened in your life? If they reject that day, we say, "Is there a time, like say, in the next couple of weeks, I could drop by?" I want to tell you another story. So it's not okay. over, and the Bible's full of stories. And you get where you know a guy I was with a fellow the other day I met, and and uh, he, he had a biblical name. So I asked him, I said, "Did you know that your name is a, a prominent person in the Bible?" And he said, "No," and I said, <laughs> "Can I tell you the story? I'd love to hear it." And so I told him the story and then said, anything like that ever happened in your life? And, uh, you know, he said no. And, you know, he wasn't really ready at that time. Mm -hmm. And then if they're there and they do receive Christ or we find out they are a believer, they ask, can they come back and start a discipleship group with their family? And then we've got material for that. It's called GCI. And we do training at Woodstock about every six weeks. And people have come from all over America it's no charge to them if they'll come, and we'll even help them find housing if they want us to. And they come in, and we train from seven thirty on a Saturday morning till three o'clock. Okay, so it's um, there's so many good for,
0: nuggets just in those stories to yeah. pastors and to just congregants.
1: Yeah, but, that's really helpful. Yeah, you you can't really attempt to mobilize your people to do this without training them. So even in the Who's Your One, I do a rally of inspiration, encouragement, and challenge. But the next morning, there's four of most prominent. Leaders in America teaching how to have a gospel conversation, or the three circles, or James Merritt's best news. And so, we're putting uh, resources, mm. making them available to them so they can train their people to do what they Amen. challenge them to do. Yeah.
0: Those are some real positive nuggets. Um, quickly, let me ask you this a little more negative, you could say it that way, but what do you think, in your opinion, the biggest obstacle? that we're dealing with in regards to keeping people focused on neighbors and nations? What do you think is the largest obstacle we're dealing with Yeah, right
1: there, now? There's distractions, undoubtedly distractions. And, and I would go a step further. It can happen in a personal life. Distractions okay. uh, can happen in the corporate life of a church or even in a denomination. Uh, there was a day in Southern Baptist Convention. It seems like everybody was saying, we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And there's uh, issues that we're dealing with that I believe are, and, and, and people are even saying this, they're gospel issues. Well, if they're gospel issues, that means the gospel addresses it. Mm-hmm. So what I want to hear more of is in that context of um, one of our national leaders dealing with a secular newspaper or a uh, secular individual, I would sure like to know that somewhere in there, they shared the gospel that is the answer with them. Uh, instead of just saying it's a gospel area uh, area, and we're dealing with it, and we're going to bring discipline. Well, how about the gospel that really presents forgiveness? Uh, Where is the grace and the mercy of God? So the bottom line is I've, I've had the opportunity to spend personal time with Ted Turner. So it would just be everybody would know that name. What did you do in that time? Uh, we talked about a need he wanted me to help him address because I had influenced two very significant people in his life. So that's how I got on the radar is that this Johnny hunt did showed me this. And so I was able to say, well, Mr. Turner, let me tell you the most important decision I've ever made in my life. And I gave him the gospel and I called the spirit of God as my witness. Here's what Ted Turner said. Ted Turner said, when I was 19 years old, I used to think God was calling me to be a missionary. He said, I set the chairs up and a tent revival for a crusade that Billy Graham had in Chattanooga. And he named a year way, way back then. And then, you know, he had a sister that had lupus and it was a very excruciating, painful death. And he felt God not healing her sort of let him down. And he sort of just that was a turning point in his life. But he did ask me to pray for him. He said, would you pray? And he reads his Bible. He said, would you pray Acts chapter 9 for me? Pray that God would knock me down on my Damascus road and I would get up believing. Wow. And so, uh, I What mean, a
0: conversation.
1: Yeah, it was. But, but so it's, so regardless, I mean, I could just come and say, I spoke to him and I told some things that need to happen to media. No, 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 no. If it's a gospel issue, share the gospel with me. The gospel's for whoever has ears to hear. But if we're addressing things out in the media, uh, whether it be sexual abuse or whatever, where in that conversation Mm -hmm. do I do it? One thing I loved about Jerry Falwell, if he was on any talk show, Phil Donahue in those days, he would always look over Larry King live. He would always look over and say, well, Larry, before we go off, let me just remind you, I'm praying for you that you would come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they might with smile and say, well, I knew you were going to get that in there, Dr. Falwell, <laughs> because if it's gospel centered, the gospel ought to be in the center of it. And we've got to stay after that. And the people's need is the gospel. And we need to make sure we're applying that same gospel to ourselves. We talk about how we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We do. And we need to make sure we're as gracious to those in the family that make decisions that are wrong as much as we are so when we tell the lost man doesn't matter what you've done god will forgive you is that true of those that are in the family too or once you become in the family does the father kick you out no he doesn't
0: that's helpful johnny i could just keep that mic on you for another hour <laughs> or two that'd be
1: awesome just to learn from you and hear
0: you I know we got to get going in the next session, but just one last question. What do you hope to see God do before you die?
1: You know, I've taken on this new assignment, um, and it was something I became passionate about. If God would choose in these next few years of my life to turn the evangelical world uh, back to making the gospel known. Uh, J.D. Greer has kept it out there in front of us two years, and it says, gospel above all. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, to me, the gospel above all would mean in my personal life, my family life, my corporate life, my school life, my friendship life, everything somewhere in there, I'm looking and praying and being sensitive for an opportunity to share the gospel. But if we could say it's a miracle of God, just as much as we in 1979 began the conservative resurgence, we had leaned liberal in, in our theological institutions and There had never been a mainline denomination in the history of Christendom to lean liberal and come back. We came back. Well, we have lost our evangelistic fervor. And some could say that's not true. I'm sorry, we're at a 70-year low. And when you say you're seven decades back to find the numbers that we're baptizing now Mm. to compare with, and keep in mind we had 9 million less members and 11 billion less dollars. So there's two facts are our friends. And to be honest, I don't want to study it any deeper than that. (laughs) Because it almost becomes discouraging. I need to stay encouraged. But we we can turn it. And here's the thing that I believe. It's a minor tweak. You know, sometimes we think, gosh, boy, it's going to take a miracle. We, We have got so far to go. No. If you're in NASCAR, you may be in fourth place. But you can put your car in a wind tunnel and find this barrier where it's resisting the wind and make this minor adjustment. You don't need to replace the tires because we're all wearing, running the same tires. Engines the same size. Uh driver, you got a great driver. You don't, you don't have a Dell Earnhardt and say, we need to replace the driver. That's what a church would do. Church isn't growing, get rid of the pastor. NASCAR doesn't get rid of the best driver and we need to be careful about our pastors. But what they need to do is make some small adjustments.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And then it puts it
1: in the winning circle. So, uh, so sometimes we think, and this is where preachers have hurt a lot of churches, we got to go in and just totally do everything different. Boy, be careful there. Uh, you'll, you're going to mm-hmm. lose a lot of people. But how about some minor adjustments? How about I begin to be more intentional, to make sure, that I explained the gospel in every sermon. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, it was said one time, what is it, Dr. Spurgeon, about you? It's almost like every sermon sounds the same. He said, oh, i take a different text and explain it and then make a beeline to the cross. Mm-hmm. That was his word. And so we honor him. Do we make a beeline to the cross? Is every sermon I'm preaching saturated with the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can I preach on stewardship? And include the gospel. Yeah, because I give because he first gave.
0: Well, wow, that's yeah. helpful. If before you die, um, that happens, man, that, that'd be awesome. I'll it, join you in prayer it, for yeah. that for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah. It would, uh, it, would great it would waiting. populate heaven. <laughs> it sure would. Yeah, and I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I Amen. can. Amen. So populate heaven.
0: Johnny, thanks for your time, not only this weekend with our men and our church, but just thanks for this time here this morning. And, uh, boy, I really appreciate just learning from you, talking to you. It's been a blessing to me. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as well. Thanks. So thank you very much. It's been a much.
1: joy to be with you. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstylesnet slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.